of his people. He makes a strong case that the backbone of the church is going to be prayer. It is going to be the background. He, he puts it in this way, which I think is very revealing. He says, you can tell how popular church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular an evangelist or a guest speaker is by who comes on Sunday evening. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to prayer meeting. And so as we Look at this prayer series. What we were trying to do this morning is kind of set a mark, a you are here mark. You know when you go into the mall and there's the big kiosk there when you first come through the door and if, if you're looking for something there and, and looking for your store, whatever it happens to be, if you don't have that little you are here sticker on that sign, it is entirely useless to you. If you don't know where you are to start, it's entirely useless. Where are you supposed to go? How are you supposed to get down this way? And as we look here, I, I want this morning, if this can just be a you are here mark, marker with your relationship with Christ. I had a friend who's a state trooper and he tells a story about his first job, first week on the job and he likes to tell stories. He talks about chasing the bad guys, you know, and he's, he said it's the closest I ever got to like one of those car chases you would see on television. I'm racing around corners and chasing this car and they pull up to an empty lot and the guys jump out of the car and take off running. He said, I got on the radio and I called and I said, you know, I need backup. I got to get out of the car. And as he is calling it in, he realizes he has, in all of the activity, he has chased this car to a location he doesn't even know where he is. And so how can you call for backup? How can you chase the bad guy if you don't know where you are? This morning, we need to know where we are. And when it comes to prayer, we need to see how popular is Jesus really at Randall Church. If we're going to make prayer the backbone of who we are as a church, we need to know where to start. Uh, it's my desire. This is a four-week series. Uh, if this series comes and goes and we spend the next four weeks talking about prayer and then after that we move on, we have made a huge mistake as a church. Uh, if I'm starting the prayer series this morning and this is the first time you've thought about praying for the church, we've got some work to do, right? Uh, but we want to bring that to a point because we're trying to do some things, brainstorming some ways that we can keep from this just becoming another sermon series. Never underestimate the power of one sermon that can transform someone's life. I can look back in my life and just see one or two or three sermons and I can see those as kind of cornerstone moments for myself as life has moved forward. And so 
This prayer series should not just be a powerful sermon or should not just be a, man, I remember that series, that was really good. No, this is all about transforming the very background of who this church is and and reminding us that if we don't have prayer as the backbone of who we are, we're going to be in a mess. So if you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, will you take out your Bibles? Uh, Turn to the center of your Bible. Just open it up in the center, and you're probably pretty close. We are in Psalms today. We are in the book of Psalms. Uh, We're using this as a framework for where we are. Uh, We've posted on Facebook this week, if you've seen it, uh, we've set out a 30-day reading plan through the book of Psalms. It's designed to be praying through Scripture. Whereas you go through each day and just reading that text and praying through it for yourself and for those around you and for our church, it'll take you about 30 days. This series is four weeks, so it's 28 days, so you're going to have to do two or three days on your own, okay? So that's up to you. You'll have to cover that yourself. But let's go through the Psalms together and pray through it. Why the Psalms? Because there's a lot of uh, Scripture that we could pray through, uh, but the Psalms is really a great aspect of that because there's almost every uh, emotional connection that we have between us and God that is depicted in the Psalms. Uh, and, and wherever you are this week, I'm certain that one of the Psalms is going to connect with you where you are. And you say, man, this feels awful personal to where I'm at. It uh, deals with simple trust, the sense of sin. It appeals to a higher power in times of trouble. And the conviction that the world is in the hands of God. So this morning specifically, we're going to start at that point. Psalm 145, please. Psalm 145. And this Psalm is going to help us deal with some things. Psalm 145 is uh, an acrostic, well not quite an acrostic, but it works through actually in the Hebrew alphabet every single letter of the alphabet. So if it was the English alphabet, we would say letters A to Z and every uh, verse lined up. So letter A represents this, letter B represents this, letter C represents this, and it goes all the way through the entire alphabet. And what is being demonstrated there is a matter of completeness. What What is being put together here is a complete thought in Psalm 145. Interesting as well is uh, King David, who wrote a number of the Psalms, uh, this is King David's last Psalm as a tribute to him. Afterwards, uh, there's other authors that if you look in your Bibles there as you go through it, it's attributed to other authors. So this is like the final thought that David wants to get across, and he is putting a complete thought because he is using all of the alphabet to put this complete thought out there. What David is ultimately going to demonstrate, and we'll see that here today, is he has complete and full satisfaction found in God. David is completely satisfied and completely fulfilled in God. Uh, we don't have it on the slide yet, so spoiler alert, this is where we're going. In verse 16, is going to be, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. In verse 19, he's going to say, he fulfills the desire of those who, fill, who fear him. He also hears the cries and saves them. That's where David is going with this text. Some of you might be seeing that and you go, man, amen, good job, David, preach it. And some of these are going, David, you're a liar. How could you possibly say that? The world that I live in, it doesn't make any sense what you are saying. How many times have you been in a place where you felt like God was not kind to you? When he's saying here uh, that God, you are kind in all of your ways, in all of your works is where he's going to be going with this. What do we do with that? What about those unanswered prayers? In my life, my family's life, we had some very specific things we were praying for God for, praying for a miracle to happen. And it didn't turn out the way that we were praying. What do you do with that? That prayer was not answered the way that I wanted it to be. 
Well, David declares the goodness of God in this chapter, you'll see, is to be everywhere. Sometimes we look at our lives, we look at the world, and we see, I, I don't see this goodness of God that, that you're talking about here, David. What planet are you living on? You must live in a different world than I do. Really? What about some of the other things that David writes in the Psalms? Uh, Psalm 44, he says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Will you reject us forever? Or in Psalm 88, he says, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? I'm afflicted. I'm close to death from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. That sounds maybe a little bit more like the world you and I live in. But in Psalm 145, this complete and total satisfaction is found in God. Those other passages almost feel disrespectful, what he is saying to God Almighty. How could you say those things to him? And at some point in your life, I, I think that you and I may have prayed some of those prayers or shouted those things at the moon, it seems like, towards God. Would you raise your hand this morning and say, hey, I, I've, I've said some of those things. I've raised those prayers against God. All right, there's a couple of you who are willing to say that. I should have raised my hand. Sorry about that. You know, those who are not Christians, they look at the church and they say, what, what I don't understand is you guys don't seem to, to see the world the same way that I see it. You don't seem to look at the planet the same way that I see it. But you know what? If you looked around, you saw those hands that were raised, ultimately... You're living through the same stuff the rest of the world is living through. You just have something entirely different in your heart and in your life. You see, in Psalm 145, there's no indication whatsoever that David's situation or circumstances have changed. In fact, if you look at other parts of Scripture, you look at David's life, you can see actually things got more and more difficult for David the life that he lived. In the beginning, he had a lot of successes, some things to be excited about, some ways that he could really tangibly see God at work. But in the end, his, his family was coming apart. His kingdom seemed to be, it was going to split in half, and he could almost do nothing about it, it would seem. There's no indication that David's circumstances have changed, yet David demonstrates his complete satisfaction in God. So if his situation hasn't changed, is it inauthentic? Is he making this up? Is he just putting on a smiley face and walking out in the morning? How do we pray and find complete satisfaction in God? If you're taking notes, we have a sheet in your bulletin. The first fill-in for you this morning is, how do we pray and find complete satisfaction in God? With every head raised. With every head raised. Beginning in verse 1. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable with every head raised. Look up. King David is basically the most powerful person in the world at this point. He is the king. He doesn't hesitate uh, to, to have people bow to him, but he also doesn't hesitate to bow his knee before the Lord. He lived in great splendor. You think of all the different things that he had access to. You think of the temple that he was going to start. Solomon ends up taking that responsibility over. But all that he had at his resources to come to him, but yet he starts at this point and says, I am not God. Because I am not God, I need to bow my knee before him. I extol you, my God and King. I am nothing in comparison with you, God. He is my King. He is great. He alone is worthy of all my praise. Don't miss this pronoun also in verse 1, the word 
my. You can't praise God unless he is your God. You cannot praise God unless he is your God. For him to be God, for you, you have to come to him as a needy sinner and say, at the cross, I'm putting my sins at the cross and now you will be my God. And so when I read through this text and when I look through this psalm, when I personalize what's going on, he is my God. God set his seal of approval when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You must trust Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and Savior. He is my God. And he gives him. So first, how do we pray and find complete satisfaction in God? With every head raised. Look up. Secondly, with every eye open. Verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. Look out. Pay attention. With every eye open, look around you. David affirms that one generation needs to share with the next generation. We have a very unique situation here at Randall Church. I'm trying to bring more light to that. I don't know if people realize really what a beautiful thing it is for us to have five generations at least in the same room. That is a big deal. And from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, we are told to proclaim the very praises and glory of God. Again, this implies that parents, grandparents, that you have actually experienced this for yourself, that you can share it with the next generation. This actually implies that the next generation, you are paying attention, you are looking, you are looking for that opportunity to connect with someone older than you and say, hey, will you teach me what it means to praise God? Will you teach me what it means to pray like you pray? Because it seems real to me, and I don't know how to get there from where I am right now. So David's first lesson is to praise God every day and forever and ever. He is so great. Share that with your next generation. Parents, when you raise your kids, I'm in the middle of this right now. The greatest thing that I could do as a parent is teach my kids how to worship God. The rest will fall into place. We have to learn to rejoice daily in Christ as our Lord and our Savior. David also declares that he's going to meditate on his wondrous works In other words, I'll determine what God is like and how he feels about me based on what he has done. You've got generation after generation after generation to show that. Not just through how my circumstances are like today. You see that? Because when you get up tomorrow morning and your power's out, you've got a foot of snow in the front of your yard. What are those circumstances going to do you? Or can you look generation after generation? Can you look out and you say, you know what? It's a lot bigger than this is today. God has proved himself generation after generation after generation. I'm going to believe in your greatness is what David is saying. Even when it seems unsearchable to me, even when I don't understand it, I will sing your greatness because I've seen it demonstrated by others who have done it for so much longer than I have. And I'm going to follow through with it. So how do we pray and find complete satisfaction in God with every head raised, with every eye open, with everyone looking around? Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. 
Actually, verse 8, if you have that citation in your Bible, is actually a quote right out of Exodus chapter 34, where Moses was on the mountain and God is giving him the Ten Commandments. He actually quotes that exact same thing there. And David is reminding us of that. He's saying God is gracious and God is merciful. And in your mindset, if you've got this idea that if I sin or if I mess up, that God is just going to come down and zap you, you've got some things flipped around. You do not have a biblical picture of God. Open your eyes. Look around. Look at the world around you. He went to extreme limits. He, he, he had tremendous cost that he sacrificed to provide a way that he could be both righteous and merciful in forgiving your sins and in mind. Look what he has done. Open your eyes, look around. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O God, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures again through all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and they give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Look around. Look at the creation that is here before us. God's acts are are included in that. The work of creation was such a huge deal. It's not by accident that Satan has sought to undermine the idea of creation, of of just pushing that off to the side, because everywhere you walk, everywhere you look, you should be able to see the very fingerprints of God on it. And if Satan is able to pull that away and and remove that through this myth of evolution and try to remove God's hand from all the fabric of everything that we see, we're damaged. As you know, the Bible begins by confronting us right out of the gate that God is our creator. Our lives, our universe, our planet are not the result of sheer chance, but of God moving and and spinning the world and then acting and interacting with it. God's mighty works are not just physical either, either. They also include his work of redeeming his people and judging the wicked. And just like he created the world and he put Adam and Eve in that garden in the most beautiful place ever, he also had to deal with sin that started there in the garden as well. And he began redemption right at that moment. At the fall in the garden when God graciously came and he clothed Adam and Eve there in the garden with those animal skins and promised the seed of the woman would then crush the head of the serpent right from that moment, right from the beginning. God has been working And as David is talking about, he's saying, all the works. He says, look around. Look at what I see. God is providing for us in all of these different ways. He upholds all who have fallen. He raises all who have bowed down. The eyes all look to you. The food you give them in their season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every heart. Guess what? He's done that completely as well. He's done that completely as well. Why? His kingdom will last forever and ever and ever and ever. So how do we pray and find complete satisfaction in God? We pray with every head raised, with every eye open, with everyone looking around, and you ask yourself these questions. Am I satisfied with God? Am I satisfied with God. Look what David says in verse 17. 
the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears the cry, their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. John Piper says this is one of the most important discoveries that has ever been made is this truth. God is most glorified in me when I am satisfied in him. God is most glorified in me when I am satisfied with him. It's the motor that drives everything that we do. And when John Piper talks about it, he says, how could I possibly preach the truth of, in John 6? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. How can I preach that? How can I share that? How can you open up your Bible and share that with one and talk to them about the greatness of God if you yourself are not fully satisfied by him? Fully and complete from A to Z. Completely satisfied in him am I satisfied with God second question am I speaking his praises am I speaking his praises verse 21 my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever see a sense of determination in David's words. In fact, he repeatedly states in this psalm, in Psalm 145, there's seven different times that he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. He is affirming and he is repeatedly even telling himself that he will testify of God's greatness and he will sing of his, his praises regardless of the situation that he is in. It's interesting in almost every psalm and as we go through uh, this four weeks, you'll see it that there's an overwhelming sense of, of hopelessness in most of the Psalms. There's an over, overwhelming sense that there's trouble on, on the rise. And he's dealing with that and he comes back to that and he's in this overwhelming trouble. Yet each of those praises, each of those Psalms, and Psalm 145 is a perfect Psalm to be able to put that at. They are filled with the praises of God, regardless of the circumstance. The only way we will join David or any of the other psalmists of being fully satisfied with God is that every day, even the time of trials, is that we resolve to do so. I will speak the praises of God. The story I told you at the beginning about the Brooklyn Tab, the pastor Jim Symbolis says this, pay it, people pay attention when they see that God actually changes a person and sets them free. When a new Christian stands up and tells how God has revolutionized his life, get this, no one dozes off. Do you agree with that? When someone's life has been a total train wreck, and then they come up and say, this is what Jesus is doing in my life, and I can't get over telling you about it. Why? Because they are speaking the praises of God. That will never put you to sleep. When someone is healed or released from a life-controlling bondage, everyone takes notice. Am I speaking his praises? So how do we find complete satisfaction in God? With every head raised, with every eye open, with everyone looking around. You see, it's not just David. You know, Jesus how did Jesus pray and find complete satisfaction in God? In Matthew chapter 6, he prayed with his head raised. 
When he teaches there in Matthew 6, he said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see where he's starting? With his head raised. Also later in Matthew 6, he does, with his eyes are open, he says, uh, he's looking around, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust will destroy, where thieves do not break and see for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, pay attention. Look around. Have your eyes open. Praise the way that God is moving and working and don't waste your time on the things that aren't of eternal value. Are you wasting your time? Jesus also in Matthew 6 to find complete satisfaction with God. He tells him to look around as well. He says, see the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, they gather into barns, uh, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add but one more day to his life? God is at work. As we begin this prayer series, we need to start there to be able to see, open your eyes, look up with your head raised, look around, see what God is doing with your friends or the historic, the, the heritage that is here at Randall. Look what God has done. 70 years at Camp Kareth, look what God has done. 57 years of Frontier Baptist Association, look what God has done. If you can't see it in your own life, just look at the person next to you and say, God, you're working in their life. Teach me how that happens. I want that. Or do you need to have your eyes open and looking around? Just say, God, I see your fingerprint in everywhere that I go, and I can't get over it. And the only way that I will be complete and whole is in you. Our culture, our society drives us to find satisfaction in everything that you can imagine. And we buy into it again and again and again and again. Then we take a couple weeks off and then we buy into it again. Because we're still struggling to find complete and total satisfaction in God. And what is happening here is David is saying, from A to Z, God, it's all yours. And I know that you will take care of it. I know that you will take care of me. So this week, I encourage you, We're going to start this morning even. As we pray, will you pray that God will teach you what it means to be totally and completely satisfied in Him? You may need to pray through Psalm 145 again and again and again. You're going to see if you start by looking up, you start then looking out, you start seeing what God has done, you should find yourself completely satisfied. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We pray, Lord, as we start this series that that prayer would not just be something that we do for a few weeks or in times of trouble, Lord, but it would become literally the backbone of who we are as a congregation. It would be what drives what happens here, the support structure of all that goes on at Randall. Lord, we've got a number of missionaries. We've got missionaries all over the world. We've got locally and globally, Lord, but but if there's no support structure here in this place, all for naught. So let this morning be a stick in the the ground, Lord, a sticker on the map to say, this is where I am. But God, let me find myself totally and completely satisfied in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray that it is cut deep this morning. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.